Hi, I'm Kenny, and this is Horsing Around with Kenny and Erin. February has a lot of action and awareness, and so in this episode, I asked Erin if we could touch on a few of the awareness campaigns that February has to offer. And Erin, you said? I said, absolutely, Kenny. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, in the month of February, there is International Prenatal Infection Prevention, uh, World Cancer Day, Give a Kid a Smile Day, Condom Week, which was February 14th through the 21st, Eating Disorders Awareness and Screening Week, which is going to be February 24th through March 1st, and then also National Grapefruit Month. I mean, who knew? Uh, Some of these you may have heard and others may be uh, new to you. I wanted to talk about two awareness projects that are happening in the month of February, which is the American Heart Month um, and Wear Red Day, which was February 7th for women's heart health. Okay. Okay. All right. And one of the things that I really believe in is we can't love one another unless we're loving ourselves. And so taking good care of our wellness is something that I really encourage both you, myself, and our listeners to do. Erin, did you know that heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States for both men and women? Yes, I was aware of that, especially for men. I did know that definitely for men. Absolutely. And by living a heart-healthy life and understanding your risk, making good choices and taking steps to reduce your chances of getting heart disease um, can help you live a more productive and loving life. So some things uh, that you can do to make sure that you're taking care of yourself is keep your blood pressure down. And I thought of a few different ways of doing that because it could be really difficult when you're doing it by yourself. Having a partner or a friend to help you do some of these things could really be helpful. So as I was on the American Heart Association's website, um, some of the things that they recommended was understanding your risks. Um, That includes like your family history, uh, to include whether or not a family member had high blood pressure or high blood cholesterol. And then also some of the things that you can control, for instance, smoking and your diet. Women are generally get heart disease about 10 years later than men do, but it's still a woman's number one killer in the United States. After menopause, women are more likely to get heart disease Partly because estrogen hormone levels drop. Okay. And if during pregnancy you've ever had preeclampsia, that could also raise your risk of getting heart disease. So that's something that you may not have control over. But once you know that information, there's ways to help you uh, keep your heart health in check. What other information do you have about heart health? Well, since I'm not a doctor, um, I just know the sex part. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And well, on a serious note, um, I do have hypertension and it does run in my family. So I know that I do have to keep my blood pressure down and, um, you know, I have to exercise and do all of those things that you talked about there uh, related to risk. 
So um, this is actually really, really good information for people to have. Regarding sex, sex is actually good for the heart. And people have asked the question, so does that mean I don't have to work out if I'm using sex as a physical activity? Well, not you, you do have to still work out. Bummer. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get the same amount of exercise. According to research, uh, well, the American Journal of Cardiology, they did a study in uh, 2010, and men were less likely to develop heart disease if they were having sex at least twice a week as compared to men who were only having sex once a month. Now, what I gathered from that information is that they were just comparing the numbers. I don't think there's any cause and effect there. And mm -hmm. you, you and I both know that, mm -mm. okay? So I don't want for people to think that, you know, we're trying to say that there's a cause and effect there. Um, now with sex and sexual activity and climax, this is actually a fact. There's a release of endorphins, so it, it is a natural painkiller when, when the endorphins are released. So that is true. So like if people have migraines, it does help for you to have sex. Now I know that people aren't gonna just like, oh, I've got a migraine, I need to have an orgasm. You're probably gonna like <laughs> go get your painkillers first, but hear this, you can actually have a mic, you can actually go have an orgasm and it will help to reduce your migraine. Sex can also help you to sleep better. And this is especially true for men. Scientists believe that this is, there's a part of the brain that winds down after sex. And that's because there are calming chemicals that uh, cause a guy to go to sleep. And you've noticed that, that after sex, the guy rolls over and goes to sleep. I have seen it. I've experienced it. Yes. And that's okay. So during orgasm, like there's an increase of dopamine. Okay. And so after the dopamine crashes, then there are other chemicals in the brain that are released like prolactin. And so that causes like a calmness or sleepiness and sometimes a sadness. And, but it's actually healthy and it's good for the body and it's good for the heart. So both sexes, you know, since they experience climax and muscle relaxation, um, the sedation, all of that is good for the body, and it also helps to connect the partners. So those are ways that sex is actually good for the heart. I'm always a fan of having sex and it being good for something, so thumbs up to that. Yes. Um, and one of the things that I know that the information may not say it, but solo sex, like if you don't have a partner and you need to reach climax, by yourself and solo play are we still receiving the same kind of dopamine dump and the same kind of like relaxation the endorphins you're still getting the endorphin release the painkillers absolutely but as far as like the connectedness mm -hmm. you won't get that part like the uh, oxytocin like the connectedness uh, chemicals you don't get that part okay see lots of really useful information yes so that kind of goes into the other part of what the American Heart Association says in their research. It says that emotionally upsetting events, um, particularly one that can involve anger, can trigger heart attacks. So yes. we need to work on stress management. Stress can contribute to high blood pressure and heart disease. So learning how to manage stress, like talking to a professional, yes. um, talking to your partner, meditation, 
having sex, being physically active are all ways that we can help reduce the possibility of having a heart attack. Correct. And along those same lines, people have asked or you've seen like TV programs where the guy will um, uh, die having sex and people have asked those kind of questions. Yeah. That's, that doesn't happen very often. However, there's evidence that sex with an unfamiliar partner or with somebody outside of marriage can be risky for men that have heart disease. So that means like if somebody's cheating, there's a possibility that the person, and they have heart disease, there's a possibility that the person can have a heart incident. Okay, so think about that. Like there's stress involved, the person already has heart disease. So there you go. Now I'm not saying at this point, like go run home and ask your partner, hey, let's go get your heart checked. Or, you know, you had a heart attack last month. I wonder if you were cheating. Uh, I'm not saying that. But there's evidence that shows that if you're having sex with an unfamiliar partner, it can be risky for men that have heart disease. And that kind of ties into what we were talking about last week when we were talking about infidelity. Yes. <laughs> and all of those questions that come up when the infidelity comes to light. Yes. You had a shocked look on your face. I did. I won't lie. <laughs> I did have a shocked look to everybody. I did. I had a shocked look when I read that. So. Well, and, but it makes sense. It does. Because you're under a greater level of stress because you're having to do some sneaking around. It's exciting. Um, and with all of that excitement, there has to be some heightened blood pumping through that heart and to different organs. So, <laughs> Aaron, are you laughing at the different organs section? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. And then getting back to all the endorphins and all of the brain chemicals and all of that, I can only imagine. I mean, on a serious note, I can only imagine. If somebody already has a heart issue, I can, I'm not surprised. No, it doesn't surprise me, except for the fact that there's been research that supports that concern. And like Erin said earlier, it's not that we're telling you to stop your actions or run out to the, the doctor and get checked, but it is an opportunity for education and just self-awareness, you yeah, know. Just, absolutely. Be aware of what is out there and uh, your own risk factors that can lead you to have a heart attack or heart disease. And the other thing that I didn't mention earlier is that people like to associate um, heart stress and things of that nature only to heart attack. But stroke can happen as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And hypertension that can lead to stroke if we don't have fast interventions, it could change a person's life very rapidly. And so um, that, that goes along with making sure that you're talking to your physician, uh, you're taking good care of yourself by diet, exercise, uh, stress management, and then the last portion, getting enough sleep. It is really difficult to get a lot of sleep nowadays adequate sleep, restful sleep. And so that kind of 
leads me back to what you were saying, Erin, about, you know, after having sex, that kind of calming feeling and being able to go to sleep afterwards. Right. If it is, and I know for myself and some of the research that I've done, um, and I asked you about the solo play, sometimes when you're feeling stress as a woman doing solo play, if your partner's not available, just so you can go to sleep and release that stress of the day, that could be really helpful as well. Absolutely. So Kenny, when you were doing your research on um, heart attacks, was there anything that you came across the differences between men and women when a heart attack happens? Because I've heard about that. Is that a myth or is that true that heart attacks look different in men and women? It is not a myth and I did do, I did find some information. So regarding the symptoms for men and women having a heart attack, a lot of times both men and women experience chest pain and shortness of breath. And those are the telltale signs of heart attack. And what happens typically is that women tend to ignore those signs because they tend to internalize stress and so they believe that it's typically stress-induced, whereas men will typically seek help when experiencing chest pain because it's something abnormal to them. Women don't typically do that. So signs that women should be looking out for along with chest pain is also nausea, indigestion, along with the shortness in breath and the, the pain. Um, because if you're experiencing those types of things, it's typical that you're going to, or you're experiencing a heart attack or heart attack like symptoms. Okay. I think that's a really great point, Erin, that difference between having a heart attack. I've had individuals as a clinician, as a licensed professional counselor, I've had individuals express having a panic attack, saying that they thought they were having a heart attack. And whereas men would typically go to the doctor because they're experiencing that. And then the doctor or the physician says to them, you're having a panic attack. They're like, but no, it feels like a heart attack. Whereas women are like, oh, this is not a panic attack. This is a heart attack. And they typically get to the doctor much later than men do. And Kenny, I thought it was the other way around that women go to the doctor more and men didn't go to the doctor unless they were like already on a stretcher for heart attacks okay typically you will find that women are they internalize that stress okay where they think well i've already been to the doctor i've had my physical everything was fine and then they're having all of these this is this is i've done this i've experienced this before so those other factors of the nausea are really what doctors tell women to look out for. It's not like how you would see in the movies mm -hmm. where people clutch their chest and fall over. Right, right. And I think uh, a lot of media, that's what we see. But when you're having a heart attack, as you've you've read, that it's typically you're gonna have some tingling sensation or burning mm -hmm. in your left arm, right, radiating through your chest and maybe some heat into your head or neck. Some people experience back pain mm -hmm. um, and indigestion, and that's how they know that they're having a heart attack. And it could last for hours. So you can be having multiple spasms in your heart 
it's not something that happens instantaneously all the time. That's frightening. Isn't it? Now that you're saying all that, I'm like, oh my God, that happened today to me. How did you know it wasn't a heart attack? I just know that it wasn't. I'm still sitting here. Thumbs up to you, Erin. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, I mean, as, as a woman, you just kind of cope. Yeah. You just kind of cope. And that's just something we have been told. Put your big girl panties or your big boy panties on and absolutely power through. Yeah, just tough it out. And that's not always helpful, everybody. If it if it's something that you haven't experienced before and you feel like it's abnormal, please seek the attention of your doctor. Let them tell you if you need a diff if they if you need additional help or not. Yep. And then there's some additional information um, from the American Heart Association. Um, and where else did you find some of your, your research? So I use the American Heart Association. And then I also looked at another source. I used the Baptist Health of South Florida heart attack information. And also, it was the Texas Blood and Tissue Center. And I also got information from the American Journal of Cardiology and also the Cleveland Clinic. They have some pretty good information. So along with, you know, it being American Heart Association Month, it is also the month for teen dating violence awareness. So we went from talking about one subject and you know sharing a lot of helpful information to a, a little bit more of a somber topic of talking about teen dating violence and awareness when i was doing my research about teen dating violence and awareness one of the things that really stood out to me is a lot of times when you see teen dating violence in the media it's between heterosexual couples, mm -hmm. but teens and dating violence happens in all types of couples, whether it's heterosexual or same-sex couples. Right, right. And so some of the things that are available in regards to teen violence and awareness is that it looks different than what people might think it would. When you think about teens, what do you think about? My view of teens at this stage in my life is that they're silly, um, they engage in risky behaviors, um, they think they're invincible. That's usually what I think of teenagers. I, along the same lines, along with social media. Absolutely, yes. And with teen dating violence awareness, it's something that impacts both parents, their teachers, friends, and communities. And in doing my research using youth.gov, um, there are nationwide between youth of ages 12 to 19 experience the highest rates of rape and sexual assault. And so that's peer on peer okay. um, sexual assault. And we're not only talking about having sexual intercourse, 
where we're talking about fellatio and or using digits to penetrate another person. I don't know that a lot of people know how to have that conversation with their teens. Also, having another peer, you know, when you're a teenager, if your boyfriend and or girlfriend or partner says, hey, I don't want you to use your social media anymore because you're mine, Mm -hmm. that's problematic. Yeah. And part of that problem is that you have the right to autonomy and the right to your privacy. And so when somebody's asking you to give up the right to your well-being, that is a precursor to dating violence. If a person says no and you mean no, your partner does not have the right to force you into anything that you do not want to do. Who can you talk to if you find yourself in an experience of teen dating violence? If not your parents, you can talk to somebody at your school, you can talk to another adult, a counselor, and I hesitate to say to talk to a friend because what can your friend do? They're also the same age as you. Now, if you are asking your friend to assist you with going to speak to an adult about what's happening, I definitely encourage that. Kenny, have you noticed that um, a lot of teens are more likely to talk to their peers if something's happening than they are to speak to another adult? What, what do we do about that? I have noticed that a lot of teens do talk to their peers. Mm-hmm. And if it is that you're just speaking to your peers so that you have a support system and somebody knows, I I, I encourage you to still speak to an adult about it because there isn't a lot that your friend can do Mm -hmm. because they're not an adult. Now, if you're asking them to hold your hand to go talk to an adult, I'm super supportive of that. You should not have to do that alone if you don't want to. But as another teenager, it's very challenging. Yeah, I can see that. What are some of the best sources, best resources for parents, teenagers, teachers, counselors? Okay. So there is loveisrespect.org. And then there's also Break the Cycle. When I was doing my research, both of those... Uh, websites gave me great literature and uh, resources for teens and parents who are wanting to have that conversation with their teenage children. And I want to remind everybody that just because you're in, um, in high school or in middle school, that doesn't mean that anybody has the right to treat you poorly, ever. And for parents who believe that, oh, well, they're just teenagers, they don't even have a vehicle, they are typical, your teens are out of your sight between six to eight hours a day, if not longer. Very true, yeah. So if you're noticing that your teen is dressing differently, um, covering up or, be, or showing more of their body, 
and they don't have a reason to tell you like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a new fad or they're being secretive mm -hmm. or they don't want you to speak to your, their partner or um, they are, they're being a little bit more sexually active with their partner. Those are indicators that your teen may be experiencing sexual violence. Okay. And so, and then another resource that I think was really helpful when I was doing education about uh, just taking ownership of your body and giving consent is Get On Top by Micah Hollander mm -hmm. with Alexandra Zizu. I may have butchered both of their names. Um, uh, it's Get On Top of Your Pleasure, Sexuality, and Wellness, A Vagina Revolution. And so... In this book, what I liked about it is how it broke everything up and it just reaffirmed for those individuals talking about your anatomy, number one, mm -hmm. and that you have control of your body. And if you say no to your partner, that no is a complete sentence. And if you don't want to do something with your partner, you don't have to. And if your partner exerts violence to make you do something, then you need to ask for help. So I really, I thought this book was really a great resource just for parents to number one, start reading so that when their children are ready to have relationships, whether it's a physical or like, it, again, intimacy does not necessarily mean physical, but when a, a teenager is ready to have an intimate relationship, whether it's communication with their peers or being physical with their peer, this is a great resource to help them uh, kind of navigate that. Well, I'm glad to know about that because I can think of a few parents who would uh, definitely like to have that resource. I was looking at the CDC website and um, they're recognizing that uh, February is Teen Dating Violence Month. And so they have some things that are set up on their website, like uh, dating matters, some strategies to promote healthy teen relationships. And they also have the Veto Violence website that is associated with the CDC website. So if you go on their website, just right there on the uh, face of the website, there's gonna be a whole lot of information that is supporting education on teen dating violence. I really appreciate you, Erin, allowing me to have this like platform to talk about these two things in February and in March. I'll look at the different awarenesses that are happening in March and I'll pick maybe two or three. And if we can have another session like this, I'd, that'd be really cool. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kenny. If you want to get in touch with Kenny, her email address is? My email address is ktpolitt.com. P as in Paul, O-L-I-T as in Tango, 24 at gmail.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, Erin, my email address is Erin, E-R-I-N, at brighterfutureea.com.